In March of 2022, agitator, collaborators, J. David Osborne and Kelby Lowside became sworn brothers to Edgar Award winning author, Bunta Shigawara lookalike, Hollywood elite, Jordan Harper, to discuss Kenji Fukusaka's epic anti-Yakuza Yakuza films, Battles Without Honor and Humanity. That was a direct translation. Welcome to Agitator. My name is J. David Osborne, and that is Kelby Losek. And today we have a very special guest, Mr. Jordan Harper, to talk about Kenji, Kenji Fukusaku's 1973-74 five-film epic Battles Without Honor or Humanity, otherwise known as the Yakuza Papers. The naming system on, this, on these movies is very confusing because they have changed it so many times. The ones on Tubi were different from how they're listed on uh, Arrow and IMDb. So I watched one called New Battles Without Honor and Humanity, which was the first one, but was also the name of the second series that he did of three films. We're just going to talk about those five today. So Jordan, what's up, man? How's it going? That's going well, man. How, how are you guys doing? Good. Doing great. Just been leveling up in uh, Elden Ring today, basically. Just farming. Yeah, just farming. I I found a couple good farming spots. One near that big gargoyle black winged dude, like a little bit further is this, uh, this cliff where a ball, like this giant orb that rolls to crush you Indiana Jones style. Mm-hmm. It just like appears, and if you dodge it, it rolls off the cliff and it dies or whatever. And so I just keep spawning and letting that thing roll off the cliff to get a bunch of rooms. <laughs> hey, any port in a storm, I say that's the way to do it. That's the way yeah. to do it. I'm really happy to have two fellow Elden Ring players on the podcast today. <laughs> I because, uh, it's just it's just a joyful experience to play that game. I have a lot of fun. I haven't well, played I, it in a few days. I didn't bring my PlayStation with me to, uh, we're at Medicine Park. We're in a, what's called the Mod Lodge, which is a little three room Airbnb. It's pretty cute. It's a cute looking thing, but I was like, I'm not going to bring my PlayStation with me. And uh, it wouldn't have mattered because there's no TV here. That'll stop you. I just, uh, I, I just farmed today as well. I, I, I was saying off the air, I, I got owned so badly by those trolls at the beginning. And now I found a, a spawn point where there's a, a troll right outside and i figured out how to kill them in, in like about 30 seconds so mm-hmm. i just go do that go back respawn go kill them and that's like a thousand probably a minute round trips so i can get like a thousand runes a minute which is not bad i can't do it for very long because it, you know um it starts to feel like work and that's that's not what you're <laughs> there for but like yeah i don't know if you guys saw this i posted it on twitter but i found a, a secret in Kalid. 
if you go to like northeast Caled, there's a fort with a sleeping dragon. And if you go behind it, you can hit it in the tail over and over again. And eventually it'll kill it'll kill it and you get seventy thousand runes for it. That is so Jesus something Christ. Yeah, something to all think right. about. Noted. But all right, so this is a big series. This is a big five movie series. Jordan, you've seen it before. Were you able to rewatch them? How far how far through did you get it? I, I've seen I saw all five like in January, and then I rewatched the first two uh the like in the last couple of days. But like uh cool. I, I went through I like a intense uh fukusaku thing in december and january so i think i watched 11 of his movies this year and uh obviously this is like the center of them but like all of his collaborations with uh bunta sugagawa are just like they're all excellent i think there's one of the new battles without honor and humanity i haven't seen but um i rewatching it this time i i liked it even more and I think the thing that interests, I mean, there's a lot that interests me about these movies, but like a lot of times people want to act like there's a, uh, people say, oh, I like vibes, meaning they don't like plot. Yeah. And I think this mm-hmm. movie is a great example of the fact that really complicated plot is a vibe. Because mm-hmm. like, yeah. you, you know, you can't tell me what happened in any of these movies, right? Like, No, no absolutely not. <laughs> I, I, I gave into it after like, Actually, I was going to say after a while, but it didn't even take that long. I think I was 15 minutes into the first movie. And I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm just going to, I'm just going to let what, whatever happens, happens. I recognize some people's faces um, from some of them from other movies. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'll just be like, okay, that, that guy. And I got like maybe 50% of it, but you know, we can get into more of this later. I guess what I'm trying to say is I didn't understand some of the underlying machinations of why things happened, but I rolled with it. Yeah, I think that's like the point is like you you don't have to like I tell that when people like read James Elroy for the first time. It's like, don't try and figure out what's going on in that book. You're not going to figure it out. Have, have either of you guys read uh, Tokyo Year Zero? Mm-mm. No. Uh-uh. It's uh, it's by David Peace, who did the Red Riding trilogy. But you know, he moved to Japan, and now he writes Japanese-based crime films. And it's the only thing in print that I know of. I'm sure there's a lot of other stuff, but he he centers around in his first couple of Japanese books about this same time period, which is like the immediate post-war, like where the yakuza got so powerful because of all of the like uh, you know rationing and. And then all of like the illegal amphetamines that flooded the market after World War II. And it's just, it seems like a really crazy time that we in America, we don't spend any time thinking about Japan post dropping the bomb. It's just drop the bomb and then that story's over. And, and that's what I really like about this time period. It just seems so crazy. They're just running around hacking each other up with samurai swords, which is dope. Yeah, in the first, uh, the intro in the war camp of the of the first movie when they grabbed those dudes and pull them aside i was like you know I, I i didn't expect it to go that far so quick when they just like whip out the katana and hack their arms off they're like all right and next one nope you gotta lose your arm i was like jesus christ <laughs> i i listened to your guys's uh podcast with peter about uh, graveyard of honor and uh it's very similar in that movie to this which is just like you know that bill burr joke about like when you get a dog, all you're doing is, is making an appointment to cry in 12 years. And <laughs> like, that's what getting a sworn brother is in these movies. It's just like, I'm going to, you're just making a promise to feel really sad when you kill the other guy in, in a couple of years. That 
kind of brings me to you know the title of this, which in Japanese is much shorter because they have one word for honor and humanity, which is Jinji. And it is a Yakuza principle of, well, honor and humanity. And what the movie is kind of doing here is that, you know, the sworn brother thing doesn't really take for almost anybody in this movie, except for Hirono, right? Except for our our kind of protagonist who's barely in some of these movies because he's in jail. Everybody else, it's complete marriages of convenience, right? Where they are sort of, there are alliances formed and then 15 minutes later, they'll be, they'll be done. And what I really took away from these movies, and it's obviously Fukusaku's point, and I think he does it really well, is that when you're done with it, you just kind of realize like, oh, this is the, this is the universal story of how businesses get started, right? Like this is kind of like, there will be blood, but for Yakuza, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's guys at the top who are, who cry all the time, who follow none of the rules, scheming, manipulative, preening, awful human beings who demand that their, you know, their foot soldiers adhere to some kind of code of which they have absolutely no fidelity whatsoever, right? Mm-hmm. And by the end of it, you just kind of feel bad. And <laughs> and like you kind of realize that, like, yeah, these guys aren't these guys aren't cool, right? Which was his other, which was his other kind of main goal with this, right? Was to demystify the Yakuza and be like, you know, these guys aren't these honor-bound samurai, right? They're they're crooks. Yeah. You know? I mean, the thing about like and tell me if I'm wrong, but like uh Hirono is cool, like Bunta. Sugara is like a cool guy with like an awesome voice and like uh mm-hmm. the clothes he wears I, I i mean you can't pull them off nowadays where they wear like the the bottom half of a sweater is that a yakuza thing i don't know what they they talk about belly bands in this in this series of movies several times but uh, but like i think it's interesting that even though you have to like he is like a cool guy and i guess for this world he is honorable but unlike a lot of other you know, gangster epics, he never really like, he's never the kingpin, you know, he doesn't really win in any meaningful way. Not even in the way that like in an American movie, they have to at least get to the top before they topple. And he like, I guess he runs his own family, but it it does, he never feels like he is really a successful gangster. And it feels like most of the other gangsters don't like him. Yeah. Like in the second movie, he's eating dog meat. And then in like (laughs) the third one where he gets as close to the top as he probably is before he ends up going to prison. He's kind of, he's like running a junkyard and he's underboss of his own family, but it's not, yeah, it's like, he's basically guard dogging like meth heads from stealing from him all the time. That's like the, the biggest throne that he achieves. Well, like when he hides out that Yakuza boss and, and yeah, they're like sitting in a scrapyard and the guy's complaining about it. He's like, well, we got to guard the scrap metal. And it's like, this is, this is the gangster life. There's no like, you know, good fella scene where they go through the bar and it's awesome. He does have a really good Yakuza tattoo though. Yeah. He's got a good Yakuza tattoo. And he, I mean, he just, Sugawara is such a cool looking, like he's got like the chiseled jaw, like you said, and the voice. So, you know, and I think he was in something like 200 
movies before he died. So he was kind of like a go-to Yakuza movie actor, right? So it's it's kind of, it's interesting to me actually, because that makes me think maybe he was miscast in this role, right? Because he is the only really honorable person in the whole or at least the only guy who who has some kind of fidelity to the rules that are as they're kind of written out but he's maybe he's a little bit too cool because he's he's kind of a i guess a loser through the whole thing <laughs> and he's it's it's also the 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 nicest i've ever seen him in any of these movies because he normally plays a character who's much closer to that like graveyard of honor sociopath. And in this one, he, he, I don't think he rapes anybody in, in these movies. That's, that's nice. It, it does go yeah. down though. It goes down. <laughs> <laughs> there was just a different, there was a different kind of approach to rape in, in these old movies that I'm noticing every old one that I watch, it's kind of like, that's what the, the love scenes kind of are. And I, I mean, it's true in Graveyard of Honor, the 2002 version. Also, it's well, this very strange kind of kind of vibe. Yeah, it's very weird. It's the same in the the original Graveyard of Honor, and and it, in this one, I just because he he's certainly not a, a kind and considerate lover in the like mm-hmm. mode of a of a 70s sex manual, but like he <laughs> he is like uh he it's it's not like there aren't like screams of protest which is just it's like that's that's a change that's a nice change of pace for a lot of these movies yeah yeah i'm glad she's not screaming Um, exactly (laughs) there was a lot of titty sucking too i noticed it was like there they go with the titties again (laughs) that's a move well you know what good it's a good move i think they did that so they could show off that back tattoo of his Oh, right. right you know he's right. like because i mean that had to like because i'm assuming that actor doesn't have that tattoo so that's like a long day in the makeup chair to like right to draw right. that thing on so you really want to make sure you get it in the picture you know and then they do it again with the uh the bathhouse and what yeah. uh and police tactics i think oh yeah the, yeah that was just <laughs> a funny scene he's like scrubbing the old man and he's like, I think my face just turned red. <laughs> like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> it takes another turn there. I, what does that? What does that mean? I'm confused by that. <laughs> I, I guess you know the thing about like when you watch these movies really close together is it's, it's just these things just keep happening in cycles of like. Like you were, mm-hmm. we were saying, like the sworn, sworn brothers happen and they get betrayed. And there are like so many meetings where they're like breaking stuff off. And then like all of the kills start to like kind of, and they're all so well shot. Like, don't you think they're just like, like that stuff, it looks so chaotic that they had to have planned it out, don't you think? Oh, absolutely. And I think that it reaches its peak in at the end of uh, part two which has my favorite sequence in the whole movie, just the way that that's shot. I don't know enough about the way that movies are made to comment on the, the different quality of film. It looks like it's like it was used, like a different camera was used yeah, for it. Yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking but about. When that guy is running through the streets and it's got this green, sickly tint to everything and you just kind of see like rain and headlights and he's running through these abandoned buildings that was such a vibe like that was so cool you know and they do have to be really well choreographed because there are scenes that even though they're frenetic and they're using that kind of cinema verite shaky whatever like they they reach a climax right like where somebody will get shot 
And I have to imagine that this, like the squib timing had to be, you know, from the beginning of the fight to the, to the squibs going off. Right. That all had to be choreographed very carefully. That's true. My favorite one is the, uh, the murder at the, that ends a uh, proxy war uh, where the guy's like buying the ticket to the movie theater mm-hmm. and like, like four guys chase him down and just shoot him. I don't know. It's just, there's something about that one that I just thought was really chaotic and fun. And uh, it's also like, I don't know if you guys had this with these movies, like occasionally you'll be like an hour and a half into the movie and you go, Oh, that was the main character of this movie. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. Yeah. Every time especially uh hiroshima death match and uh proxy war it was yeah. like the the dude who's in love with the left behind yakuza wife and the uh and then the third one it's uh well shit they're kind of blending together what was the third one third one is proxy war but that's the one where that, that guy who's murdered at the the movie theater i didn't realize he was the main ca- character until he right. dies yeah that one also had a proxy war had so many cool scenes and like i was just trying to research as much as i could about people's opinions and stuff on this movie and um like proxy war seems to be lowest in people's ranking for some reason Hmm. but i thought it had so like a, a ton of the most memorable scenes really like when he comes in when hirono comes in to uh I think his junkyard castle for the first time there's a dude there with his hand all bandaged or his new stump all bandaged and like he's he's saying you know one or two fingers wasn't enough like i had to cut off he cut off his whole hand (laughs) an apology and it's like and he just casually it's like zoomed out and it's not filmed in any kind of dramatic way and Hirono just picks up his hand and is like, you dumb fuck. How are you going to fight now? <laughs> <laughs> I really love the uh, the finger cutting in the first one, uh, because, again, it's like not it's supposed to be this like big honorable act. And then the the pinky flies away. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> the chicken is like, the chicken where'd it go? <laughs> yeah. And then yeah. they give it to the other guy and the other guy was like, oh, you don't have to do that. Yeah. <laughs> Not what you want to hear after you cut your finger off. Well, every every single act of the finger slicing in this movie is rejected because <laughs> there's, a, there's another finger slice where it's put into a little vial of formaldehyde and the guy says, oh, I don't want that at all. And he just like gives it to somebody else. Which is, again, seems to be a little like kind of dig at this like, oh, you guys are so big and bad because you cut off your you cut off your fingers when you make a mistake. But it's it's looked at in this kind of disgusting, loathsome sort of way. I think I think to Kelby's point about why people might not like proxy war, I think that one is probably the most dense with the. Mm-hmm. The, the betrayals and the different factions forming and the families that are fighting because it is like, as the title suggests, like it is proxy war. So the, the whole movie is kind of about how these big decisions that are made at the top have repercussions between, uh, you know, families that don't have anything to do with the initial conflict. Right. Yeah. Which is usually something really stupid. It's like the amount that the, the bosses in this like drink, and make decisions when they're just pissed drunk, I thought was a really nice touch too. Cause they're, you know, they'll be surrounded by geishas, you know, just pouring sake and then chugging it and then pouring it again. And they'll, they'll make life or death decisions when they're fall down drunk. And then everybody else has to pick up the pieces after they're done. 
But it just like what a dickhead the boss. What is it? Yamamori. Yamamori. He is one so, of the, yeah. the most loathsome characters I've ever seen committed to film, like bar <laughs> none. I I could I I want him and Maki Makihara, who actually does get killed in the final episode, mm-hmm. uh, which was delightful to me. I, I was like, oh fucking. It's the scene where the um, the assassins actually pissed like one pisses himself because uh, he and he like can't do it, and then of course he's the one who ends up he gets killed at the very end of the very last movie. But when Makihara is like buying flowers and he finally gets gunned down, I was like, because you know he's got these like ugly teeth, and he his introduction to the movies when they're all sort of low level in 1945 like low level yakuza and hirono is going to go out and commit a hit he's asking for help right because everybody's getting all hyped up uh-huh. and it's that great scene where everybody else in the room is like ah and uh makihara is like he's like crying and like he's about to throw up he's like but my my wife what will happen to my wife if <laughs> if, if i but those are the people who who become the the top dogs it's partially you gotta think because nobody seems to hardly ever get away with murder None of them do because well they do it in broad daylight. I mean they, they yeah. just kind of they just kind of do it. <laughs> so, and that's like the the kid who shoots Makihara too when they rob the other kid's uh, uh, sister like they steal from her family for the money to get he says this is enough for an American forty five I'm like you're shooting him with a forty five and you can't kill this man like he <laughs> shot him like eight times. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like that scene too because they're they're all passed out and like they put sleeping pills in the coca-cola and they all look like they're dead and he's like oh, do you right. think that, that was too much and, and the guy's like no nah, nobody dies from sleeping pills it'll be fine it's like oh jesus <laughs> like, like all of the like there's like two or three murders in these entire films where like the killers just walk up and like coldly shoot them in the head and then walk away like normally both sides of the murder are openly like weeping and and like flopping around and it's just such a weird choice when you first see it and then you just get used to it and go yeah that's how people kill people is they like prat fall and scream and then like nobody else look like that nobody else gets involved they just go like oh hirono stop uh while everybody is just weeping openly i don't know it's so weird it is weird there's a line in the final episode which might well it's, it's either Hiroshima Deathmatch or the final episode, which would be my favorites. But in the last, I, I almost actually laughed because there's a line towards the end of the fifth one where they're committing a hit, some two like no name guys, right? And one of them goes, uh, It's so hard to hit things with bullets. And I, I just I thought, I thought that was just oddly funny. <laughs> right. Because it's just saying that they suck. and i guess like these are such a reaction to those like super cool yakuza movies of the 60s like which are movies i really like like pale flower and that like that guy doesn't miss although he did also go to jail for 20 years for killing somebody so it's like it's really not worth it and i just let people live if that's the case yeah it's like an honor thing though right that's supposed to be the idea is that you you take credit for it and you because like the way that it seems like it's supposed to work is when you're a low level scrub, you are uh, basically there to eventually go to jail. Like you join the Yakuza and you know, you're going to go to jail because eventually you're going to be asked to do something uh, because nobody above you can be touched, right? Like it has to end, end with you. 
so it it seems like yeah these these guys are just like well we need somebody to do it and and do it in broad daylight and do it in front of everybody and make sure that you turn yourself in because we can't have the cops sniffing around basically right so it's kind of like an honor thing like i i'm the one who did it i'll take the because i guess 20 years is the maximum sentence for <laughs> for murdering somebody in post-war <laughs> japan so they're just like well if i'm good i can get out on a on good behavior right yeah. uh or by pretending to commit harry Kiri, which is what the guy does at the beginning of the movie which like it starts the whole thing starts off really uh intensely because they're just in jail and hirono gets this uh this buddy, this who be, they become sworn brothers in a very uh, homoerotic way, which is by cutting each other's hands and then sucking the blood out. Seems like there could have been an easier way to do that. It's a long suck too. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like a sip. Like they they hold the pose, you know. Because I'm saying like your mouth is like full of blood at that point, right? Like that. Yeah. Oh. No thanks. Yeah, it's pretty gross. But like he, and then the guy eventually. I think the guy dies like thirty minutes later. So I can't even remember what his name was. But um, he's like, okay, here's how I'm gonna get out of jail. I'm gonna pretend to commit Harry Curie, and uh, you call the guards, and then if I get out, I'll have someone vouch for you and get you out of jail too. And Hirota's like, okay, bet. And then yeah, and then this guy just like starts cutting his stomach open, and everyone's like, should I? Do I call now? And the guy's like, fuck, goddamn, yes. Yes, please cover. <laughs> <laughs> like, there's gotta be a better way. It's it's in it's in um graveyard of honor where he like gives himself food poisoning, right? Oh god, yeah. It's one of the most disgusting scenes I've ever seen. Oh, so gross. It's so gross. Where like in the in the Mike version, at least, where there's just like of a fire hose of diarrhea coming down his leg but it's the fact that he eats the spoiled milk and like you watch the there's like when he takes the lid off and there's what looks like an egg yolk in there from just like milk that's been sitting under his pillow for for days and days easily the most disgusting thing that i've ever seen either of those plans was that really was that their plan a was like did you look at hitting the guard over the head first or like carving a right. gun out of soap and blood? Like, is it, no, I'm going to stab myself. <laughs> I'm just imagining Clint Eastwood in Escape from Alcatraz. He's like, I'm going to cut my dick off. <laughs> Everybody's like, what? what? But you get out next week. What do you- <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Have you guys, oh, uh, I don't know if you've done it on the show, if you guys have seen, have you guys seen Female Prisoner Scorpion 701? I have, and she's in part two. Yeah. The, the actress is in part two, Mako Kaji. Kaji, right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, that's what I was going to, I mean, those movies are, are awesome, but like, um, she, she's good in this, but it's, again, it's that thing where you don't know she's a main character until you're pretty far into the movie and you're like, oh, I'm supposed to, I should be paying more attention to, to this guy and, and his storyline with this woman. Um, right. I, I think that's biggest in the second one because Hirono is the main character of the first movie. So you just kind of think he's going to be the main character of the second one. And it just takes you a while to go, wow, uh, he hasn't been on screen for like a minute. Well, he's he's like, yeah, like I said, he's in part one. He's in a pretty decent amount of part three. And then by the end of part three, he goes to he goes back to jail for seven years or something, 12 years. Like, I can't remember what it was. And uh, all of part wait or is it part four that he goes back to jail i can't remember now but he's he's in jail for a for a minute in these movies 
and it also seems like jail really sucks for some reason like they just leave the windows open when it's snowing i'm not really sure what, what, what the deal with that is but yeah no i'm i am interested in this this kind of character i guess and why why we followed him at all really unless it's to kind of show a kind of counterpoint to everybody else i'm just curious what you guys think about the choice for hirono as the main kind of the main guy well so he's he's the ideal right so like i think you kind of have to show what people think of yakuza to show the like opposite of that i mean he could have gone like fukusaku could have gone like full bleak and had like everybody be a piece of shit but he's he's yeah sort of representing the like ideal i think so you're like like this could which makes it even worse because it's like that is appealing this sort of like outlaw life where you wear cool suits and you have some kind of code and you're sort of like a robin hood type figure that's mm-hmm. like yeah i'm like a criminal but i have like this code and you know i'm sworn to my brothers and shit when i was a kid i bought this book called legends of the samurai and i didn't realize it was actually a pretty serious like academic book where this guy had just translated all of these stories about like the most legendary samurai throughout history and like why they were legends and the thing that really struck me even at, like when i was 13 years old was all of these guys who were presented as legends, they were never became Shogun. They never like were the ones who won big battles. In fact, almost all of them ended with them like killing themselves while they were surrounded in a fortress. But I think the point was supposed to be, and it's like just not something you see in like American films very often is, well, they did the right thing and they didn't win because that's like, we they like to tell the story here of like if you do the right thing you'll win mm-hmm. you know and i think it's a it's a much bleaker view of like no you do the right thing because it's the right thing and in this case i think he is supposed to be like yeah he's an honorable guy and and it doesn't get him much it doesn't get him anything he, he just goes to jail and 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 never right. gets revenge on that horrible boss and it's like but he was he was good so he's got that going for him <laughs> right and in, in a in final episode at the at the very end he even says like the thing that makes him walk away for good is not even a he doesn't get any catharsis and the kid who dies he says i can't even remember the kid's face but that was just the final that was just it for me and and that's all he's left with is like his his own honor like his own semblance of humanity that's what he walks away with he walks away with honor and humanity and absolutely nothing else (laughs) yeah and he's old at that point right like it's like been years and years and like it's just like well i guess i you gotta learn how to code right yeah yeah he basically yeah he joined sony and uh that's where that's how we got playstation the whole fact that it's post-war also i thought was interesting too because basically because of the timeline the fact that it ends in the 70s is that the kind of guys that were watching more towards the end of the series right like matsu matsuhura um, and guys like that those are basically the old bosses in most of the yakuza movies that i'm familiar with right Mm -hmm. like so that would have been sort of their generation and I don't know. I just thought like the Tensei group has been in other movies. I'm not sure if that's real or not. 
they do use some factual stuff here, but it's kind of one of those, the names have been changed to protect the Yakuza type situations. But I don't know. I just, I got a kick out of seeing how like all this kind of stuff was formed, I guess, even though it's, I was lost for a good portion of it. It just, it felt kind of neat. It's, if you just kind of like hang out and let it all wash over you, you do get the gist of everything. And I think that's, sure. you know, and there's obviously some kind of importance, I mean, some kind of, of like them choosing Hiroshima as the side of it. You know, they end, not the first movie, I think, but all the rest of them with that shot of that building that is, a, that they just never rebuilt after the A-bomb went off. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. it's like, it, they're definitely making it like, a, it's, there's a statement there about like, you know, that this is all kind of in that post-war, like they're all, it's all about that recovery from that moment. And that like, they're still doing it all in the shadows of that totally wrecked building. And I, it's, it is an interesting, and you're right. It, it kind of, it's that era that I haven't seen a lot of Japanese crime stuff. That's why I brought up those David Peace books. Cause I feel like it, it seems like a really exciting, crazy time that just kind of, it's sort of like the end of casino by the end of it. You know what I mean? Where it's like, mm-hmm. like you're saying like, and then after this, it's just going to be corporations. So don't worry about yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. everything kind of, the ship kind of writes itself in, as much as it can uh, towards the end. And, you know, the group becomes a, it's a political party or something, some kind of political coalition. I'm not really sure how that works. And then they go back and be like, no, nah, we're actually, we are Yakuza's. So, I mean, that's, but yeah, the put, setting it in Hiroshima and, you know, uh, in the post-war period, I thought was really interesting because it's kind of, you know, the bomb was, we talked about this with Scott actually on the last episode because Onibaba has Hiroshima, Hiroshima uh, themes to it, right? Mm. And it is kind of like, it's an interesting event that is difficult to really kind of wrap your head around, right? That two mm. bombs of that magnitude were dropped on a country and what it does, I guess, psychologically, to, mm-hmm. to people, right? So that kind of, I think, frenetic, the, the, the killings and the lack of any kind of code. I mean, how do you really have a code after your opposing army like just dropped a bomb on civilians, basically? Not that it's good to drop bombs on anybody. I should be clear about that. Right, right. But, but that's, that's unique. Yeah, it's, it's like, um, I think, not just keep bringing them up, but it's the only other thing I can really compare it to. It's the Tokyo Year Zero in the opening scene of it. It's the day of surrender. And the main character who's a police detective watches two cops basically commit a, a hate crime by like taking swords and chopping up a couple of Korean immigrants just because like they were so like, like their whole world had just exploded. Right. And, uh, mm-hmm. and then you have, you know, it's just a little bit in that first one, but you also like have the presence of like, an invading army is are like running around and like raping your women and and they're in charge because they dropped those bombs on you and that had to been like so uh incredibly hard to deal with and and, so, and a challenge to their masculinity that they had to like oh i better start chopping off some arms and get this back get the mojo back i have a really 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 stupid question but i'm gonna ask it anyway let's see if you guys know the answer to this when a nuclear bomb drops, if you're in the middle of it, I get it. You're vaporized, right? You're fucked. Can you survive a blast though? Like if you're like on the outside of it and just get like fucked up? I mean, I, I think there's gotta be some line where if you're on the other side of it, you don't die, right? Like, uh, yeah, that's my question is like, if you're, if you're basically, if you're in the radius of it, 
like, are you for sure going to die? But like, what if you, I don't know, what if you hide like in a fridge, like Indiana Jones does in that uh, one movie? I think that does it. I think that's the trick. You got to jump in a fridge. Like there's there's something about porcelain or anything vacuum sealed. The reason you like jump jump in a tub whenever there's a tornado. Yeah. You you just got to find the the right household fixture. The tub thing is so hilarious because that's 100% true. I mean, that's what we're supposed to do is to get into a tub. And it's like, yeah, if a mile wide F5 tornado like goes through, the tub isn't going to do shit but like it's just the only thing you can really do you're like well i guess i'll get into the tub we experienced that about six or seven months ago there was a big tornado uh that hit about a mile south of where we were right and the, the sirens are going off and we just went into the bathroom but it's so fucking terrifying because there's nothing at all you can do you're just standing there like well i hope this doesn't kill me Right. I, mean, I, uh, I did a lot of uh, <clears throat> remodeling after um, Harvey. And I, I got to say, a lot of bathrooms were really fucked up. So I'm not <laughs> sure what could that, that was going to do anybody. <laughs> oh, yeah. With a hurricane, you just have to leave. You just have to get out of town. It's funny, again, with that Indiana Jones thing where he got into the fridge. I remember reading a story somewhere where it was like that decision was all i think george lucas he he really wanted him in that fridge and it was one of those things where literally everybody was like bro come on really but he was like adamant about him getting into that fridge and surviving <laughs> that way which you can do when you have a billion dollars oh. you know and, and he was trying to get the word out it was a public service announcement that he wanted people to know to get into that get into that fridge <clears throat> have a have either of you guys seen threads that that uh british movie threads no it's uh, a it's really good it's like from the 60s or i think it's from the 70s and it's like super low budget and it just like the first 20 minutes are just like this kind of household drama it was like a tv movie like uh it's just like this household drama about a guy who's uh, knocked up his girlfriend and the families are meeting for the first time and just in the background there's like just these news articles going about like how rising tensions are happening between the soviet union and america and then about 20 minutes into the movie, there's a nuclear war and they just treat it dead serious. And like, they just kind of show you everything mm-hmm. that would happen. And like half of the cast just dies in, the, in that like two minute period. Oh, that's and, so tight. And then like, there are people like who, who like made it because they stayed in their basement. And mm-hmm. like, but then like a month later, they, they, you know, or, and then like, like a couple of people, like if you're like, don't die in the blast, but you're still really close. You you'll just die of radiation poisoning. Right. That's the other thing. Yeah. Because I'm <laughs> now I'm now I'm trying to think like if you hid in a ditch or something, would that work? I just you know, and like the like the flames are going over you, and you're like, what? This is crazy. <laughs> <laughs> flames don't go down. That's science. No, no, they don't. <laughs> yeah. I know a lot about. I, in the past two years, I've learned a lot about science. So I think, <laughs> yeah. I, I, think I know what I'm talking about. I think you've got them. Sure you do. <laughs> I, uh, I don't know. Anyway, there's a, there's a lady in, uh, in part four or five who's in the A-bomb slums and she's got a burned face. So that's, that's what made me think of it. It's like, okay, so this is clearly supposed to be like a survivor. But, you know, like where was she that it just burned her face? But she's still alive. Yeah, I don't know if that's like flame that burned her face or radiation, you know? <laughs> 
<laughs> is that what radiation does? I mean, I think it can, right? I, I bunch of nuclear scientists cough up blood. That's what I thought. I thought it like I thought it boiled your insides or something like that, or like melted your. I guess it would melt your skin too if it was melting your insides. But yeah. I don't know. It's very complex science that I can't get into right now. We don't have the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, got your PowerPoint ready to go. Yeah, yeah it's too okay. it's too complex. Well, did you guys um, did you guys have any particular? Well, first of all, I want to know what your favorite movie of this series was and then uh favorite scenes i thought would be cool to go over i you know i know it's lame i really like the first one just because i you know it, it's it's just a good old <laughs> it's more of an old-fashioned gangster movie than the rest of them and then it's really fun watching in two and three watching them kind of just like take it to different levels and so i think those three are my favorite i'd say one and three are probably my favorite yeah i'd say i'd say two and three for honestly like three with proxy war i like how it detours and sort of shows um even though it probably shows the most of hirono since the first one it shows a lot of the outskirt like you know the other grunts and lower levels and everything and uh and two you get like 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 the big thing with all these movies that you take away is like the theme and message of it or whatever but from a storytelling perspective there's these great moments within this like sort of mockumentary type bleak fact based i mean not like historical not not completely based in real life or whatever but the way it's presented to you is just like matter of fact straight face like there are these great moments of just classic storytelling of like a love story within all of this Mm -hmm. or like uh like with the second one you know with the which does does not have a happy ending whatsoever and has one of the best um suicides whether it actually is any kind of uh scientifically grounded or not when he just like he packs in that chamber with a uh, sand and then just pulls the trigger i was like i uh, I mean, okay. <laughs> and then blood spatters everywhere. It's just, it was sort of a level of magical realism to it, honestly, that was like, I fuck with this even harder than if he'd have just had a loaded gun and blown his brains out. <laughs> yeah, does... How would that work if you put sand in a gun? How would that work? I mean, I think to Kelby's point, I, I mean, if there, it wouldn't, right? It would just, <laughs> yeah, because you need, you need the, the powder to propel the thing right that's how that's how bullets work yeah hold on let me let me think about this real quick the second law of thermodynamics (laughs) 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 like you know but it does switch the moment he dies it goes right back to that like cinema verite thing of like you know the body just looks like a actually so it is a little a little more stylized than the others because the body looks like the blood is almost like jackson pollocked across his body yeah, um, yeah and there's like those like the puddle of blood around him which i think was supposed to have little bits of brain in it there was something mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in the blood that was a, that was a really good scene that was one of my favorites too it's crazy kills in this kelby mentioned the arm chopping the the sand and the gun blowing the head off there's a nose amputation at one point which i thought was really really good um and then there's just some really kind of vicious stabbings that happen which is it's interesting the way these things are choreographed because a fight will go on for about you know a minute 
and it'll be people kind of throwing each other around. And then I guess somebody gets squirrely and will take a gun or a knife out. And it's like, bro, why didn't you just lead with that? You could have led with the knife or the gun and just, you know, gotten the jump on these fools, right? You didn't have to wait for it. But um, yeah, I don't, I think that, yeah, I think too. And I, I really liked the final episode, actually. I thought that they, it's kind of masterful the way that, you know, how do you sort of pull all of this together, um, you know, in a thematic way, because we've sort of been all over the place. We've seen so many different aspects of the Yakuza, like the everything from their drug dealing and murder to like baseball, collecting on baseball, betting and boat races. And, you know, you, you really, by the end of these five movies, you get a sense of like sort of what the Yakuza are, how they fit into overall sort of Japanese society right where there's a great scene where the guy like goes to the cops and says that he retires and he's like i am a citizen now and they're like all right cool yeah congratulations welcome to the straight life you know um so i i I think that five just did a really good job of pulling all that together and kind of making you feel like you've read a book by Mm. the end of it but it was fun you know unlike books which are fucking boring (laughs) yeah <laughs> uh, I uh, sorry, like scenes I like that we talked about a lot of them. I, I really uh, the I think it's in the second one where they like one of the gangs is like just branding each other, mm, you know, mm-hmm. and then like the other gang just runs in and does a like it's it's like really is like a, a twenty on twenty gang fight with swords and like three guns, and mm-hmm. it's it is just so insane and it. And I, again, it's one of the ones where like the boss just immediately runs and hides under a table um, because the bosses in this, just all of them suck so bad. So bad. Yeah. So bad. Yeah. Memory is the worst for sure. But uh, Uchi Uchimoto is also really, they got ugly people too. They all have like overbites and they, they, they just look like these simpering little freaks. Right. But yeah, yeah. Memory always crying. And then he's like, in the third or fourth movie, he starts putting makeup on all the time, which I thought was weird and a little homophobic, right? It's it's like, oh, he's also he's he's a dandy, you know. Um, <laughs> but uh, well, but does, uh, does he develop some kind of skin condition or something? Is that what was going on? There's a lot of stuff that I didn't understand. There was another scene where a character has like hot rocks on his feet or something. I didn't get what was going on with that either. I, probably because I'm not Japanese. <laughs> I would say like having like I like I said I rewatched the first two and rewatching them you you do start to pick up more of it and, and because you kind of know what's coming and you, and you expect and, and so I do want to rewatch all of these again and, and and I think I'll dig them more. I'll tell you what I did like uh, was uh, Yamamori's wife. That's just kind of yeah, oh she's great. Yeah, all the women are like that in the movie too. They're all these kind of uh, you know these scheming mob wives and she's the most scheming of all of them. I, I thought I just. <laughs> Watching Hirono get absolutely owned throughout the first like two movies, but especially in the first one where he's just so clearly getting jerked around. And there's a great point where he's like, he's like, I'm not going to fall for your tricks anymore. Yamamori. Like, Yamamori's like, that's right. He's like, cause you're so, you're so, you're so smart and I'm, and I'm sorry and whatever. And he's like, that's fine. I'll I'll, I'll kill this guy for you now. Right. It's like, dude, he's like, he just, he, he got you again right? Like he just, 
the, I made a note of this actually, and I think I made this note after the first two movies or whatever. And it was that every Yakuza in this movie is either a scheming weasel or completely dumb as shit. They, and that's kind of Hirono actually. He's kind of dumb as, he kind of falls for everything, right? But like when he gets left in the truck by his two underlings because they, they don't want him to commit another murder and go back to jail. They're like, I have to, one guy's like, I have to take a shit. And then the other one's like, uh, I have to take a shit too. And he's like, what's the deal? Why, why is it, why is everybody got to take a shit all of a sudden? And he sits in the truck and smokes a cigarette. And then he's like, Hey, <laughs> <Wait a minute. laughs> I think oh. you're right. He he doesn't do a single smart thing in the entire run of the movie. They treat him like like when he they say if you kill this guy in the first movie, we'll give you everything we own. And right. then when he comes out of jail, they stick him with the check for dinner. Like yep. just, mm-hmm. they, there's not even a pretense of it, barely. They just own him. Just and they're like, and one person mentions it to him. It's like, what about his promise that he was going to give you everything? And he's like, (laughs) (laughs) he doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't have an answer, right? But that kind of dumb thing also has some really cool scenes, like when the uh, his underling gets killed and they cremate him, and they have all the bones, right? Yeah. And then there's a hit that try they try to do a hit at at the funeral. And the box of bones gets run over by a car. And then the bones are really hot. So there's a, I didn't expect this to turn into science hour, but I, I have a scientific question about what would, the bones are still hot from being cremated, right? That's the idea. Yeah. Um, and he like, he grabs the bones and crushes them in his fist. And he's like, Whoa. but then he doesn't, but then nothing happens, right? Like he, he, he has that moment of like, vengeance will be mine, but vengeance is never his. <laughs> Because everybody who he goes to says, sure thing, man, I'm, you, I got your back. And they do not have his back at all. And he just keeps going like, well, such is the life of the Yakuza. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, and they don't respect him at all. They don't. It's not like they're, they're not all going around. Going, you know, who's really cool and old school about this stuff. He's like a real, real one. You know, it's just like, oh, he's such a pain in the ass. And they're like, why don't we just kill him? And everybody's like, that's a fantastic idea. Like, like we can't do it right now because that'll offend this sworn brother and blah, blah, blah. But like, yeah, he basically just escapes hits out of luck and because the timing is off on some of them, I guess. But I kind of like heroes that are like, that's kind of this movie's whole point, right? Like you couldn't have a a smart, crafty protagonist because then he'd be the boss, right? He'd eventually get to the, and then the problems would be fixed because he'd have some kind of, I don't know, code. Yeah, maybe Takada had some, some parallels to him sometimes, but he sort of had that level of corruption that allowed him to climb the ranks better than Hirono. Mm-hmm. So he seemed like sympathetic to the code, but also like, bro, what are you doing? Like, you're not going to get anywhere like this. Well, he, yeah, he kind of just, he understood how the sausage is made. Right. And I was, I posted a tweet about this and it was a joke, but also not. But I I found this movie instructive in its own way. Right. Which is that, you know, if you want to be somewhere, anywhere in life, do you want to be the kind of like simpering mob boss who, who gets somewhere? Uh, Or do you want to be like, you know, the hard charging, hot headed Yakuza who throws themselves into a fight and gets killed for somebody else? Or, 
There's a third option, which is you could just not be a Yakuza, which means don't post. So battles without honor or humanity taught me a lot about Twitter. I mean, those are some battles without honor or humanity. (laughs) (laughs) I do think that's the answer, by the way. It's like uh, when you take the when you're right in the thick of it, those those fight scenes are really exciting to watch. Right. But like when you really look at the aftermath, you go, that is not worth it at all. You do not want to be one of those guys. So you should not be uh, getting in on Twitter and, and, and flaming. And, uh, well, and, and I, I had a, I had a great tweet in, in my head when I woke up this morning. I don't know if that happens to you guys ever. It's like a really sad thing that happens. Yeah. Where you like, it's wake really up depressing. And it really is. That doesn't, I'm too cool for that to happen. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I woke up and I was like, oh, this is such a banger. This is such a good, and I can't say it here because it would defeat the whole purpose of not tweeting it. But I basically like, I woke up, I brushed my teeth and I took a shower and it had just passed like the urge for a cigarette. And I was like, oh, that's better. And now here I am 12 hours later. And it's like, I'm really glad I didn't post that. That would have, that just, it just wouldn't have like either everybody would have ignored it, which is the most likely scenario, or everybody would have been mad at me again. And then what do you get? You get, you get assassinated, right? You get it, you get a hit out on you because another thing about this movie is the fact that every action that happens in it has an insanely complex web of dominoes that fall when you do anything, right? Because you kill somebody, right? Well, that happened to be somebody's sworn brother from a family in Tokyo that was looking to make a deal on horse betting with somebody from a family in Hiroshima. And so now they're mad at you, even though they're your sworn brother. So now you have to break up this family. And you you, you see what I mean? So like, Mm -hmm. that's also like Twitter, right? Like you just kind of say something, you don't realize that like five levels down the line, you've somehow grievously upset somebody who yeah. has to kill you now. Who has to kill you now. Well, and I think, you know, the other analogy for this is that like, it, it's such a corrective to the, to the cool Hitman movie. Cause in your head, uh, you know, you, when you, when you drop a bomb on Twitter, you're like one of those, like, you know, French gangster movies where they're like super cool, but like these guys are what actually you're like on Twitter when, when, when you're really getting into it, which is like, even the guy with the gun is like weeping and pissing himself. And it's like, you know, nude, mad and red online, you know? nude mad and red online is what you don't want to be at all. you don't want to be it and you don't want to be i mean even even uh sugara he um he's sort of cool when he shoots people but even he is he's not like he's not like uh chow young fat you know he's not no. a, there's nothing smooth about this it's just like oh i'm like they almost apologize when they're killing people right by the way speaking of looking cool while shooting i don't know if there's any cooler shot in movie history or style of shot than like in hong kong movies so switching gears a little bit here but like when the gun is right up against the camera right so it looks really big but it's kind of to the side so you can see mm-hmm. down the barrel that's such that's just such a cool look and I, I don't know why that's cool but it is i wanted to ask you because i haven't so is agitator Mike's big like kind of epic gangster film is that correct mm-hmm. does it i mean is it like this at all or like i'm trying to make a collection of like really epic gangster film like this agitator is epic um in scope because it's about uh what four and a half hours long and you know spans a long time period um but it is 
much cooler. Like a lot of agitators, like look how fucking awesome and baller yakuza are uh and it, it's got like a, a great balance of mike doing the like focused uh you know sprawling gangster epic but also him doing little nods to like james bond and like looney tunes even where there's like a random dynamite kill that's like where the fuck did that dynamite come from and he just pulls it out of his ass and kills someone with dynamite i wouldn't say it's not in the same league as this i i like even though the themes well the themes are similar actually actually the themes are similar just delivered in a much much different way oh, okay i, I do yeah, have it's, to a, it's, all, it's all meant to be cool yeah at the end of the day Mike seems to be very firmly in the camp of yakuza are awesome <laughs> <laughs> The the other movie by uh, Fukusaku with uh, with uh, Bunto uh, Shugagawa is uh, that I really like. He he made one called Cops and Thugs where where Bunto plays a cop. That one's pretty good. It's uh, it has the same kind of attitude where he's just like so corrupt and in a not cool way of like he basically just goes and drinks with the yakuza every night and and he's not he's certainly not Vic Mackey. He is just like a lazy cop who just wants to hang out with the gangsters and that one's pretty good but out of all of these movies my favorite one is is called street mobster which is 1972 so it's a little before these and it's kind of a really nice blend of like a more traditional gangster movie with graveyard of honor um where it, it certainly has like a more recognizable plot than the rest of, of these movies but like sugagawa it plays a guy who's just as nasty as, as the graveyard of honor guy, but maybe not, but a little more focused, not, not quite a wreck. And, and it certainly has the, uh, that attitude towards rape. That is a uh, very uh, um, out, out of fashion these days. It is. Mm -hmm. You're just mm -hmm. like, wait, what? Like, yeah. She's right. your girlfriend right. now. Yeah. You like well, to watch well, the scene and be like, we, Oh God, we, she's uh, going to need therapy. We don't, we don't judge, you know, we, you know, different cultures you know. that's right that's right yeah it's yeah exactly it feels <laughs> it feels wrong to do from a sociological perspective which is how we approach all these films mm -hmm. um anthropology sociology are the main two pillars lenses the lenses that the lenses <laughs> through which we view these things yeah uh -huh. exactly <laughs> um have you seen have you seen the Mike graveyard of honor or just the yeah yeah one? yeah i've seen okay. both of them yeah um, which one did you think was better I mean, I, I am not being, a, I'm not copping out when I say they're, they're both just really good. I, um, mm -hmm. you know, Mike, Mike's is a little louder, you know, um, but the, the, the degradation, it's not as cartoonish, but it is uh, when they're doing heroin in the original graveyard of honor, it is, there's a shot that just, I had to take a picture of it with my phone. And I, it's like, it's just both of them, like, just like slumped down on the floor just looking out like the most miserable people on the planet while they're like have needles in their arms and it is it's really it's really bleak um mm -hmm. it might even be bleaker than the, than the than the remake um because there's no flashiness to it whatsoever it's it's done not quite this style but um fairly similar and, and so there's just it's not too pretty to look at you know and, and he is totally irredeemable and he doesn't win and like mm -hmm. uh, i like them both i, I really do I, I think um they both have a lot going for them so and, and they're not that different honestly they uh 
plot wise they're different but like uh, Mike really was like going for the exact same tone I feel like and uh as we wrap up tell us a little bit about your kind of introduction to Japanese movies specifically this kind of Yakuza uh Mike style of, of movie have you been a big fan your whole life when did you find these movies that you tell know us a little bit about that journey about my journey yeah, um my journey. <laughs> I have to I came to uh I came to uh Yakuza movies really late and I think mm-hmm. it's because I started with those 60s era Yakuza movies and other than Pale Flower which I only saw for the first time last year you know those like really pop art like Tokyo Story I think is the name of one of them like that style of, of movie didn't appeal to me at all so I watched a couple of those and then kind of didn't pay a lot of attention to the genre and was way more into like, um, you know, like the the samurai movies were really more my speed um, up until honestly, maybe three or four years ago. And then I started getting more into Japanese film. And uh, I just saw on, uh, you know, the Arrow, that that, that Blu-ray and, and streaming service had a 50% off sale. And they had a box set 50% off for a bunch of Japanese movies called Battles Without Honor and Humanity. Yeah. And I was like, well, that sounds cool and ended up getting them and, and didn't even watch them right away, but then fi- like put them on one day and, and was just like, oh, this is like so different than those. Uh, so and I like these a lot more than I like, you know, that other era of, uh, of Yakuza movies. So I actually came to it really late, and, but I've just uh, I think I told you this at some other point, but I'm trying to watch more Japanese movies this year um, than American mm-hmm. movies, which I guess you guys probably do anyway. Yeah, that's all we watch. The uh, the only American movie I've watched this year was a uh, Larry Clark's Bully. Oh, <laughs> you know I almost said when you were on on Twitter where you were saying uh, that American Honey was like your biopic. Now I know there was a murder in Bully, and I, I there were no murders in my high school years. But that to me that was that's how I feel about that movie. Um, it's the only movie that made me feel like my high school years, which is I know sad. exactly what you mean by that. Yeah, I can see that. You know, like looking past looking past the murder, I 100 percent. Yeah, that. it's just like just so wasted and like like the kind of the the drug use and 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 it's also I think the most realistic representation of what somebody on acid looks like. Yeah, where they're you know? just like, oh my god, and then just like throwing up. Sorry, <laughs> sorry, because <laughs> nobody, you know, most psychedelic movies don't get to the nauseous part of LSD you know they it's all it's all the head trip and they don't really talk about that body thing of you just the sweating um Mm -hmm. that they do in that movie it's just very yeah i like that movie a lot actually i've seen some uh american movie i saw um i saw turning red um what else did i see moana moana was good Mm -hmm. um the incredibles one and two yeah um the incredibles is amazing it's a really good movie. It's pretty good. Pretty, you know, I saw and I saw you in, engaging in this also, Kelby. I saw a lot of hate for Turning Red. Didn't bother me. I don't know. Maybe I just I, I have no standards. Red. I hated I no it standards. so much. I thought the big thing was kind of cute. I thought the big panda was was kind of cute. So well, see, Gus is a baby, so <laughs> you just saw the like, oh, cute little panda. Rowan's like, he has 
like he talks a lot i don't know if you've heard him throughout some of this episode actually screaming at me i had to mute my mic because he was literally screaming at me like i was like i'm on the phone bro and then he starts hushing me i'm like I, i'm doing a job here where i have to talk i'm like explaining this all to him but uh he, he kind of gets on my nerves a lot so with turning red the little girl's really annoying and i was like oh hell no i can't do this <laughs> oh you gotcha. do i mean yeah i'm gonna teach you guys about about parenthood here because i know so much about it but uh no i think it, 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 if you detect something on the screen that you don't want to see in your life you got to turn it off right because they will <laughs> come right at you with like those like mouthy sitcom kids like you don't you don't want that yeah yeah no get that out of here that's a i will say like the, these uh, you know i did an, another podcast last week um but i haven't watched any movies in the last two months that i didn't watch for a podcast because i've been just so deep in my shield rewatch um oh that, yeah that and elden ring that's that that has that, i was watching so many movies uh the last year and i just i just put a stop to it and uh, i'm i'm just watching dick mackey did you have a favorite of the japanese movies that you were watching during your your binge during my binge um i really like pale flower i went through a bunch of uh juzo itami movies um okay. he directed tom popo and um he he made a bunch of movies with his wife she was the lead in almost every movie he made and his movies are really weird and they're kind of funny um but he actually he was probably murdered by the yakuza because of a movie he made about them oh wow yeah, he, he made he one. Sounded a lot like uh, Rob Zombie. Sounds like a kind of a Rob Zombie figure. <laughs> he's a, but he's like really like his best movies are like Tom Popo, which is about a woman who opens up a ramen shop, and a movie called Supermarket Woman, which is about a woman who has a real passion for running a grocery store. Like they're these like completely like heartwarming films. But he made one called The Gentle Art of Japanese Extortion, that mm. is about this hotel that the yakuza are always extorting for money and then this woman comes that she's a lawyer and she helps the hotel like get rid of the yakuza but the thing is like the yakuza are portrayed in that movie like worse than they are in battles without honor humanity because like they're just they're even more pathetic because they're kind of they can't even manage really to be violent and they're just like Mm-hmm. and they they run these scams that aren't scams at all because they're just counting on people being scared of them because they're yakuza so it's not like watching like con artists doing some kind of cool thing it'll just be like um i found a cockroach in my meal you're going to give me ten thousand dollars now and they just throw a cockroach on the plate you know um and apparently the yakuza were so offended by it that they threw him off a roof holy shit yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> i feel like that I always wonder if that's part of the case because Mike, as far as I know, like, I don't know how much this checks out factually, but like from um, my understanding is that Mike was first hired by a film company that is run by Yakuza. And I have often wondered if some of his style of being all flashy and fun is because he's like hey it's all good over here guys like <laughs> don't cut my arms off or anything i think y'all are cool and zany <laughs> i think that's part because i think that's what offended them it's like even in battles without honor humanity they're like scum but at least they're scum who like are, are frightening and the whole point of this movie is like 
oh, if you actually just like challenge them a little, they will go away. And, uh, and I think they didn't like that. And apparently it's not completely true. If they, what, what they say was a, like a Yakuza like flipped and there'd always been rumors that they weren't sure if this guy had killed himself or if he'd been thrown off the roof. And what this Yakuza who flipped said was, well, we gave him a choice of we were going to kill him or he could jump off the roof and maybe live. And uh, so he jumped. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, but like for a guy who doesn't like his gangster movie isn't even a gangster movie. So it's really odd that that's the guy they go after as opposed to like any of these guys who are making these kinds of movies, you know? Yeah. I wonder if they were more intimidated <laughs> by, <laughs> by Fukusaku. <laughs> I, I mean, maybe I, he, I, I, I think you guys talked about it in the Graveyard Honor episode, but like I, I rewatched Battle Royale too. And that's a, that's a pretty fun movie, but it's not as good as these. I, it's just got a reputation because I think it's got its teenagers killing each other, you know? Yeah, it's like the, you know, the Hunger Games uh, phenomena, the beginning yeah. of all of that. Oh no, there's uh, definitely a reason that, you know, of all the kind of classics of this sort of movie that we're talking about i i haven't suggested battle royale i I don't think it's all that good i just i don't think there's a lot going on with it no no you just kind of watch and you go there it is but i'll tell you you know i'm gonna give you like the most well have have you you guys watch cure no um go ahead as if i haven't because i can't remember it's by kiyoshi kurosawa and it is about a police detective who is investigating these crimes where people all over Tokyo are being killed and they have like a slashed X across their throat. Um, Mm -hmm. But right after every killing, they catch the person who did it. Um, And the person's like, I don't know why I did it. Um, And then across town, somebody else kills somebody with a slash across their throat. And he's got to unravel this mystery. And it's like sort of a horror movie. It's, I think the, the guy was like inspired by seven a little, but that's probably my favorite Japanese movie that I've watched in the last like um, couple of years. Um, it's really creepy. And the guy who's kind of, when you meet the villain, he's one of the best villains I've ever seen in a movie. So I really recommend that one. That sounds badass. Yeah, we'll add so, it to the list. Yeah, he's made like uh, a lot of like a pretty good Japanese horror movies. There's another one he made that, can't remember the name of it. it's very famous it has like every once in a while somebody will post on twitter like this is the scariest scene and it's the guy who's in like the dark basement and then this woman just starts walking across the room in slow motion mm. i don't know if you know the what i'm talking about but like that that's one of his movies as well the yeah i really like that and then this is lame but i every time i watch akira i like akira more and and mm-hmm. it's just Start out with me going, yeah, Akira's pretty good. And it's starting to become like maybe in my top five movies. I don't know. It's, uh, it's great. Every time I watch it. It's, it's great, so yeah. good. We yeah. get to watch it again because we're going on a show here the next week talking about Akira. And oh, nice. it's, yeah, it's one of those classics that's just like a lot of classics. You have that feeling that's like, I understand why this is a classic. Yeah, it, it's really, it's, I get it. Um, it's technically a masterpiece or whatever, but with Akira, every single time, I'm like, this is so fucking cool. I just, I, I guess it's because it had a bunch of comic book behind it, but it just has this feeling of like this world that is so huge, and you're only seeing this like little part of it. And that's it. Yeah, it, it's. I guess Blade Runner does that too, in sort of the same way. But this is even more than Blade Runner, and it, and the soundtrack is dope. Oh yeah, yeah. The yeah the whole there was um akira and then did have you ever seen venus wars Mm -mm. it's kind of the same era 
I don't, I think I've always put those two together in my head because they used okay. to play back to back on the sci-fi channel, but it's sort of the same era. It's an anime and uh, it's got that same kind of feeling. I don't know if that kind of densely technical cityscape type thing, I think is really what gets you thinking that, you know, that there's more to the world than what you're seeing just on the, in the plot. Cause everything just looks so detailed and interesting. And yeah. And when you Venus start Wars? the movie, uh, Venus Wars. Yeah. I think that's what it was called. Another like weird movie that doesn't really kind of fall under this purview that I watched this year um, was called, um, oh man, it just fell out of my head. Uh, man, hold on, just, I'm sorry. I'm not, a Samurai Spy, which okay. is exactly what the title is. It's a spy movie set in samurai times with like ninjas going undercover in enemy bases and stuff like that. And you're like, why aren't there like a million samurai spy movies like that seems right. like a whole genre that people should be doing because it's really cool um right. and uh, so i like that one too but uh yeah i i uh, what is it about japanese movies i mean i'm sure you guys have talked about this right that's like, I, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because that is a question that we asked scott and that, that is going to be a question that i ask probably all of our guests right is like what is it about these movies that separates them first of all from western cinema and then secondly just like what makes them what makes all of this so cool? Well, that's, a, I mean, man, I asked first. That's <laughs> true. That is true. That is true. That is true. So for me, I mean, if, if you want my take on it, is that, so I have a real fascination with uh, Russians and Russian movies, I think mm. for the same reason, uh, which is that when you watch like Brother, uh, you've seen Brother, right? Yeah, I like Brother. Yeah. Um, you, you just like you're just watching this movie and more so than when you watch uh, a European movie I don't even really get the vibes when I watch movies from you know like South America right or somewhere further up north or whatever but when you, you watch like a Russian movie or a Japanese movie you really get the impression that there is a whole cultural language that you're missing so the same way that Akira feels very lived in and that you're kind of you're, you're, you're going into this fully fleshed out world. I think that that's accomplished by having uh, characters that have sort of uh, in-jokes and internal consistencies that you, you never see, but you can sense. And mm-hmm. there's something about Japanese and, and, and Russian movies to me as a whole that just like, I, you just don't get them, right? Like, I don't get what makes, like, like sometimes I don't get what's going on in these movies. I don't get why you can't survive a nuclear blast by hiding Mm -hmm. in a fridge right i don't know why the you know why the teacups are so important why ceremony is so important to yakuza right why does it matter that it's made official why is an entire yakuza plan brought down in battles without honor and humanity because the restaurant they're going to have the ceremony at cancels on them right they can't just do it anyway it's interesting right like there's there's a there's a whole set of rules that we don't get no i think that's that's true. And I think my, my answer kind of comes at that from the other direction, which is I feel like particularly with Japan and you, you get it with Korea as well, is this completely different pop culture world that also like kind of evolved parallel to ours. And the like the back and forth was a little more at the, the level of audience than it was like theorists. It's not like a bunch of like, it's like not like Truffaut coming over and interviewing Alfred Hitchcock. And like then going off and making those, you know, French movies that I've never really gotten into. Um, mm-hmm. You know, that, that, that Japan was just doing its own thing. And then it, they would watch American movies and that would get fed into it. 
um and no, you can see that you know Kurosawa watching westerns see. or something but like it just it it feels like they're making things at the and obviously like they're Japanese movies that this doesn't apply to whatsoever but like you know I like Japanese crime movies so much more than than most European crime movies because I think that maybe it's because they're having the same reaction to us that we're having to them mm. you know so everything you mm. just said is true for Kurosawa watching westerns you know and he's mm-hmm. trying to find the common threads and 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 interpret them and then he's showing it back to us and i think that that's uh, that's way more interesting than a lot of this the cross currents between america and, and european cinema uh, so i yeah i think yeah. that's maybe my answer i don't know yeah that's kind of the, what happened with uh, metal gear solid actually which is yeah. what i think yeah. makes that game so interesting is that metal gear solid is a japanese guy's take on um, <laughs> like the american spy like super spy genre right Mm -hmm. because all the all the characters are american takes place the first one takes place in alaska it all deals with themes of america and american imperialism but there's this this level of distance right because it's a japanese guy who's who's writing the whole thing it it really kind of troubles the i guess appropriation argument in a sense right where at least when it's a japanese guy doing it 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 makes it makes it so much more interesting not just because he'll say things that americans won't say but just it's just a it's just fun to see it through that lens i guess lenses well, again you know yeah. we're looking at things through lenses through lenses that's how we look we, we are we are some lensed up uh people and uh no i think that's true i, I will i think i'm too old for metal gear solid like i missed that road you know um but i'm so fascinated by it and I, I keep catching I had no idea that it like again this is the thing I learned like through Twitter basically that Metal Gear Solid had this like insane story like nobody ever told me and I think it was just honestly it's just you get it was a fallow period for gaming in my life was when that was all like going on and I don't know if those games would be fun to go back and play now they are um they, yeah, yeah they would yeah. be <laughs> right. fair did you guys ever play tenchu assassin yeah that's one of my all-time like all-time favorite games and one thing i love about it is you know there's that one where you there's like a i think there are, it's a french colonialist maybe he's french i don't remember exactly mm-hmm. and uh mm-hmm. you have to sneak on his boat and fight him and the way that uh the white guy is portrayed in that is so fascinating to me because it's just like this big dumb ugly monster and right. like because yep. you're just seeing it get reflected back in that way of like oh yeah right that's what the that's yeah that's how a ninja would see you and okay like yeah. that's cool it's a it's a really cool thing to see you know? yeah. i should the, go play the, metal gear so, so and the way this whole thing comes full circle is that sekiro actually started its life as a Tenchu remake. They were oh, really? Tenchu, and they made Sekiro instead. So they really should remake Tenchu Assassin. I love that game. Yeah. Yeah. But that brings us no. to the end of this episode. So thanks, Jordan. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is awesome. I'm glad to do it. I'm glad that you guys dug these movies. And uh, I got to rewatch them all again. They're, they're dope. Cool. They're so dope. Yeah. Appreciate you coming on. This is a blast. Yeah, man, and it was really like I said, it's good to good to talk to you, and uh, you know, let's let's figure out another one. Cool, for sure. Awesome. All right, guys, talk to y'all later. Peace. Later.